years. It's Canon Canada's 50th anniversary. And as the nation's number one camera brand, we're celebrating with amazing deals. Take a break from the phone. Reignite your creative spirit with an exciting new generation of purpose-built cameras and lenses. Get big in-store savings, perks like on-demand education, plus up to $500 bonus cash back from Canon. Don't miss out. Canon Canada's 50th anniversary sales event is on now. Visit canon.ca for details. Terms and conditions apply. It's time to celebrate the NHL's best. And the heart goes to. And the caller goes to. The NHL Awards, June 26th on Sportsnet. CISL Vancouver is Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. He scores! Short-handed goal for the Canucks. Vancouver draws first blood. Listen live on HD Radio, 96.9 FM, HD3. Hour number two of Canucks Central. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. If you missed hour one, an exclusive conversation with Patrick Alvine here on the program on whether or not the Canucks will be moving up in the draft. How uh, much of a priority is that? How they are shaping up going into next week's draft in Nashville and also what they're looking for in free agency, the types of roles and fits they are looking for with this roster, some more details on why they chose to buy out Oliver Ekman Larson as well. You can check that out on your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe, leave a review. That way you never miss an edition of Canuck Central, our inside info, exclusive interviews, and during the season, every single post-game show available on the Canuck Central podcast feed. Stan Richo and Satyar Shaw. We welcome in our next guest from The Athletic. It is Harmon Dial covering the Vancouver Canucks in the National Hockey League. Thanks for this, Harm. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Uh, you know, we're just we're, we're admiring how good Patrick Alvin has gotten at saying very little in any availability he has. Gotten good? He's been sharp at that from day one. I yeah. can't remember, honestly, um, a particularly revealing interview from uh from alvina i definitely miss rutherford and um how straightforward and and honest uh he was they couldn't be more different like they're the direct opposites of one another publicly like they couldn't be more different yeah it's like rutherford for you know his entire career has been so comfortable and seems to enjoy the 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 you know the speaking for the franchise and being that public figure type and you know, I think back to the January press conference when, you know, that was a really tough time because the franchise had completely mm-hmm. stumbled out of the gate. The, the initial presser was for, you know, to discuss what had happened with Tanner Pearson's injury, injury situation. And Rutherford had been grilled for like 30 minutes by the media pool about a variety of different topics, the rebuild, what's happening with Bo. Um, and, you know, C-Mac at the time was, you know, because there had been, it gone on for 30 minutes was, was sort of suggesting that, okay, guys, like wrap, wrap up. And understandably, Brotherford was like, no, no, like I'm not going to step down until, yeah. you know, I've addressed every single one of your concerns. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely polar opposites, I think, in terms of uh, the public messaging. Well, and that's why, you know, when, when he um, comes out uh, unprompted today and says that they'd look at moving up in the draft, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it, 
uh, with a Spocky and eyebrow and being like, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish here, Patrick? Uh, what, what did you make of, of his comment of wanting to move up in the draft? Yeah, I mean, it feels like a lot of teams want to, in general, every year, yeah. they're looking to move up in the draft. And the fact of the matter is, if you're trying to get into the top 10, uh, there are usually very few teams that are looking to trade down. And if they are looking to trade down, you're, as the team that's looking to trade up, you're going to have to pay a lot for it. So, especially for the Canucks, they already don't have a second-round pick this year. I know they have two-thirds, but we're talking about a franchise that is pretty light on assets in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I believe they're already also without their second-round pick next year. So, it's not as if this uh, organization has a lot of expendable assets they can throw in to, to move up. So, I, I believe Alvin. You know, I believe him when he says that, you know, he'd, you know, he'd sure like to move up. But I just don't know how realistic it is given uh, the situation the franchise is in. Well, and I think it's also a pretty clear in general. They, they want to do big things. They've been linked to trying to do big things, whether it's trying to move up and, and trying to get bigger impact players, right? Like, you know, I think they would like to do those things. It's just a matter of how realistic are those things. And he said he's involved in all these discussions. And as much as he didn't want to put a, a cap on what he wanted to do and what restrictions they're looking at in terms of the players they're going after, he was very measured, I thought, also when he was on with us in terms of how they're going to approach improving this team, that they don't want to create roadblocks for younger players. And I'm wondering how much of that is actual truth in terms of what they want to accomplish, or if they are going to be a bit more measured about how they're going to approach adding to this team with the cap space they now have available. Well, to a certain extent, they're still going to be a little bit restricted, right? And so that is, you know, at the end of the day, even if they're like, they will add, obviously, whether it's uh, on defense at third line center, but they're still going to be dependent on younger players taking the next step. Like, yeah. and, and that hinges on whether it's the likes of Pod Colson and Hoaglander taking bigger steps up front, whether it's on the back end, the likes of Hirose, um, you know, and, and other sort of prospects like Johansson or, or even McWard or even Wu at some point, even if it's in depth roles. Um, providing some level of, of competition, I think they they will need to to get uh, to, to have some of these guys take bigger steps. I mean, Nils Oman up front as well. If he can sort of maintain the form that he showed down the stretch, look, he's not going to be your third line center, but all of a sudden, if Oman and Joshua play at the level that they did, your fourth line goes from you know probably being average or slightly below it for most of last season to okay, this fourth line could be a legit strength on your roster and it helps uh, bolster your, your bottom six. Even if your third line, um, you know, it gives you a safety net, a bit of a cushion if your third line, for instance, if you don't quite get the third line center you perfectly wanted or you end up with injuries, uh, whatever the case may be. So even if the Canucks are able to make additions, they need um, guys internally to sort of perform in these important support uh, roles. It's uh, it's clear that they've you know put an, an emphasis on on the development part, and, and even Patrick mentioning today that you know they want to uh, or they don't want to have sort of roadblocks set up for some of their young players to develop, and I wonder how much you know we should take stock into those comments now that they do have some cap flexibility going into free agency. I know you and Drance you know went through the tiers of what the Canucks could go out and acquire and this is always it's it's a nervy time for Canucks fans you know there's been a lot of mistakes made in free agency in recent years but how aggressive do you expect the Canucks to be in free agency 
Well, they certainly, considering the considering the chips that this management group has already pushed into the table since they've taken over in terms of first re-signing JT, signing Mikheyev in for agency, then, of course, making their own trade, they want to make the playoffs next season, right? And so from that standpoint, there are still important holes that you need, you need to address on the roster. Like for me, the back end, especially because of the uncertainty around Ethan Bear now, and him uh, missing some time to start the season. And even when he does come back, you know, you might not be certain how long it'll take before he's playing at, uh, at 100% of his potential. Uh, the back end is still pretty suspect. And of course, there's still a gaping hole at third line center. And so I expect them to be sort of active to try and look at, uh, look and fill, look at, you know, to fill those because as it stands, um, if they, you know, let's say there was an alternate reality where they didn't buy out OEL and they're stuck with cap space and they weren't able to, let's say, add at least one defenseman and another bottom six centerman, I think you would look at those holes pretty prominently and considering the landscape of the Pacific Division and how rapidly it's improved because of Seattle's quick uh, acceleration, which I don't think, you know, I certainly didn't see. I don't think most people in the hockey world saw. Um I, you know, it's. I think a lot of us would have looked at that and gone, you know, that it's going to be tough for the Canucks to make the playoffs, playoffs next season. So definite upgrades are needed, and even when it gets to the get, you know, gets to the roadblocks, a sort of idea and being mindful of that. At the end of the day, it's not as if the Canucks right now have an internal candidate who's pushing to be three C. It's not as if they have a guy who looks top four ready that you're that you'd go that you'd sort of sort of go, oh well, if we sign if we sign X top four defenseman to trade for this guy that we're worried about this prospect, not getting the opportunity he deserves. I think that's more so around the margins. And if anything, it's on the wings um, as, as the roster is currently constructed. Well, and that's the thing, right? And you know, it, when he was on with us, he, he said the obvious, like they're looking to get better on the bottom six, more versatile guys who can win draws and they want to be tougher to play against. And I think it's been pretty evident when you look at this team and how they are currently constructed. They don't have enough speed and forechecking and also just overall grit to play the style they want to play, right? So when we look at the players they want to add, I think as much as, yes, we're talking about defense and centers, and I've been making this point, and, and perhaps a Barbashev type is your ideal but he might be too priced out for you. But I think there is a profile of some gritty toughness too they want on the wings, especially in the bottom six. That would make sense. And especially because of how, how much talk it is emphasized law guys. Yes. Winning battles. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was also interesting. You're, I think you're 100% bang on because even earlier in, um, in the season when, uh, when I was sort of going through prospect rankings and um, I was discussing Josh Bloom. Um, with uh, with Ryan Johnson and and you know uh, RJ was talking about Bloom obviously joining Abbotsford and he sort of mentioned that th- this guy fits the style in terms of the speed the tenaciousness the size the physicality the forechecking that we don't have enough of on the NHL roster like that's the style of player we want to develop right so like that I I think clearly this is an organizational mandate in terms of the type of player that they feel they um, need more of in terms of guys that have that hardness can can be competitive, fight on the inside. Um, and honestly, I agree with them, right? Um, and that's why for now, in terms of moving into next season, look at Vasily Podkolzin is really important um, for taking some level of next step because he you know, checks off some of those boxes. Um, with how effective he can be on the forecheck when he's on top of his game and the potential that uh, that he's showing. Um, because at the end of the day, everybody loves those gritty, 
um, battle winning, hard to play against uh, types. And if anything, those are, those are the, the styles of player that oftentimes um, get, uh, get overpaid in free agency because they're in such high demand. So it, it's a fine line to sort of balance where you absolutely want to add that element to your team, but you also have to be careful not to over, you know, spend in free agency. And, and look, there are still ways to do it affordably. I mean, you look back at when the Canucks originally signed Luke Shen, that, that's a perfect example of how it can be accomplished. Um, you find a guy who you believe, and Dakota Joshua as well, another perfect example. Um, you can find those types of guys. I guess what I'm trying to say is you, you may be looking at those players more so at the margins because if you're trying to find impact players that check those stylistic boxes, then you're going to the likes of Barbashev and, and those um, names in this week's raging class mm-hmm. that will sign those types of scary contracts that you don't want to add if you're, if you're the Canucks. Is Pod Colson his own worst enemy when it comes to his development? feels that way sometimes. I think to a certain extent. Um, you know, when I spoke to him early in the season, he definitely said that when he went down to Abbotsford, a big part, like the major focus um, was the mental side of the game in terms of what he was sort of working on with the Sedins. Of course he was working on defensive and, and on ice components, but a lot of it was mindset too, because uh, I've certainly noticed how hard he is on himself um, when he makes mistakes. And be- as a result of that, he can sort of tend to play a safer style. And again, I think part of that comes down to the way he was developed as a prospect, even before he arrived in Vancouver, mm-hmm. when he was, when he was playing for Ska in the KHL, um, one of the rich army teams over there, they were sort of using him as a 12th, 13th forward. And instead of being the type of player that was encouraged to take offensive chances and encouraged um, and, and deployed in high leverage power play opportunity, five and five, top six, um, lots of penalty killing minutes. He had to sort of fight for every minute and he was sort of stuck in a, in a grinder's role. And, Believe me when I say he felt like he was walking on eggshells in terms of one mistake and I'm going to get benched. So I think that's just something that the organization has to be mindful of helping him work on because like when, when that happens year over year of you're trained that if I make one mistake, uh, I'm going to be benched. And you're also now, now it's in the NHL where the stakes are even higher. Um, you know, it, I'm sure he is hard on himself and, and there is, I think, work to be done in, in helping him um, build up the mental side of the game, build some confidence because you do notice it, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times when um, Pod Colson will maybe like score a goal or there's a stretch of play where um, things are working really well, like the, like the tail end of the 2021-22 season, there's a totally different level of confidence that he has with the puck on his stick. Um, he's looking to make way more plays. Mm-hmm. He holds on to the puck a lot more. Um, he's a way more effective playmaker. So I certainly think there's more upside and potential that you can tap into if you're the Canucks. Um, Once you figure out how do we build up his confidence, and this is where even when, when, when he was playing down the stretch and we're talking about Pedersen and Pedersen and Hughes and the top guys, Miller playing so many minutes and Pod Colson was still playing seven, eight, nine, 10 minutes. That's where our, where I'd actually been hoping that the Canucks would give, you know, a guy like Pod Colson 12, 13 minutes. Um, a little bit more ice time just so he can, you know, get more opportunity. 
Well, and you know the thing too is like when I look at Pujols and to everything you mentioned, his profile and the type of player that he could be, like he could very much be the type of player that has a long career, even if he's not a top six player because of his size. He can play the wall game. He's a smart player. So there's a projectability here to be something, right? When I look at Niels Hoaglander, and I've had a couple of lively discussions about him. And let me preface this by saying I think he's a talented player. And I think he can be a top six, middle six guy that can provide a little bit of offense. But I just wonder, if if he hits, what's the ideal role for him in Vancouver? And can he be that? Because I look at the top six and how they want to play under Tocket at, at the very least. They want a speedy four checker, a guy who's good along the wall, the wall guy, right? We have that in Mikheyev, Bevilli is that type. And they use PDG in that role as well. It's clear that's, that's what they want on the line. Pearson played that role in the past. And then you have your center, and then the guy that won the right side in the top six is more of a natural goal scorer, right? Like Kuzmenko can shoot the puck. They like Besser better than Garland in that role because he can shoot the puck a bit better, more of a goal scorer. But Colts not, uh, Hoaglander's not really a natural goal scorer. Like, how does he fit in, in an ideal role? And can he be the type of player that can reinvent himself and be that pesky third liner that can do a bit of everything? I do think he has the potential to be that sort of pesky energy third liner because I remember his rookie season in Vancouver. I was astonished at how effective he was as uh, as a forechecker mm-hmm. how quickly he closed on pucks how uh, tenacious he was at forcing turnovers he definitely has that competitiveness in him right because a lot of times you can look at undersized wingers and go he shies away from contact he is, is too perimeter oriented but that's not Hoaglander's sort of um, game at all in terms of when he um, is is moving moving with his feet and and definitely he I remember in his first year, I was actually impressed at how advanced his wall play was because, you know, watching him in Sweden and coming over as a, as a rookie, I was initially looking at him and going, like, how is Travis Green going to trust him on that Horvat line, which mm-hmm. is going to go up against um, top competition? And yet it worked, right? And of course, since then, there's been struggles. Um, and I think, namely, he'll need to cut down, A, the offensive zone turnovers in terms of on entry specifically, because those types of giveaways when you're just about to enter enter the zone and you have deactivating up up the ice you you lose a puck there you're you're getting you're getting burned on the counterattack. you're giving up an odd man rush and that's just just the sort of thing that i don't think um you know talk it will um will tolerate um i also think in zone defensively mm-hmm. he has his lapses for sure when you look at his awareness his hockey sense i don't think he's the smartest defensive player um definitely a lot of room for improvement there so there is some risk. There's a lot that he's going to need to work on in his game. But I, because of how tenacious he can be, because um, he also has improved his speed, uh, I, I still think that he can carve out a role as, uh, as a sort of pesky second, third liner who is a complimentary sort of playmaker and can also maybe pop in 10 to 15 goals. I think you know, that, that's the ideal version. And honestly, I hope it happens because we would love to see, you know, the, these younger guys do it. And the biggest thing you mentioned is the IQ stuff. And you're right about the defensive side, but even on the offensive side, in terms of forechecking, he's great when he's the guy first on the puck and he has the puck, but when he doesn't have the puck, the angles he takes in support of the puck and how he enters the zone from the other side sometimes and how deep he goes and where he stops. Like, I think those are the other things that really sometimes get on the coaches because especially with how these this team wants to play for checking wise sure the first guy on the puck has a big role but also the second and third guy entering the zone they also have to be cognizant about where they go and how they approach zone entries you're 100 percent right and that's where um you, ha- you have to sort of think about also depending on who he's on the line with mm-hmm. uh, how often can we get him as the f1 because you're 100 percent right there have been like 
uh, the nightmare situation a lot of times when you watch the tape is when Hoaglander is S3. Yes. And he's like the, th- like the third man. And, and there yes. aren't that like many instances when that happens. But when it does, you're right. He does look lost. He doesn't know what reads he's supposed to be making. Um, and that's where as a coaching staff, um, you know, I'd be curious how, how fluid are those types of forechecking um, scenarios? Uh, are, are, can you put him in a position where he's primarily the first guy in and, and all you're relying on him to do is apply pressure? Because in those situations, he'll be successful. You're right that if it's consistently F2 or F3, um, his reads and the angles that he takes sometimes can be uh, problematic. But ultimately, I go back to this, right? This is a player who um, was fast-tracked to the NHL, um, mm-hmm. as, especially as a second-round pick. Um, to me, the, the simple fact that as a rookie, he was able to do what he did. If a guy can do that at 20 years old, um, I, I have confidence that with age, with maturity, with a lot of work on his game, um, you know, with the type of time that he's had in Abbotsford, I still have confidence that he can turn into, um, a regular effective, um, NHL player. I, I, I just, it's it's hard to find many examples of guys who let's say coming into the NHL at, at 20 and find that level of immediate success and they don't eventually figure it out. Um, I just can't think of too many of those sorts of uh, situations. Before we let you go, Harm, uh, we're a week out from the NHL draft. We touched on the Canucks potentially moving up, but uh, you know, let's say they do draft at 11. What do you think makes sense for them there? Who are the players you've sort of circled now that we are uh, in the thick of draft season? Yeah, I mean, look, the dream scenario would be uh, if um, outside of Mitchkov falling outside of the top 10, um, you know, I, I still, even even with him being a winger, if Zach Benson falls to 11, I, I, I would not hesitate to take him just because I think with the attributes that he brings – not only is um, one of the best playmakers in the draft class, but more specifically, this is a guy who is so tenacious. Uh, one of the best four checkers in the WHL, such a smart player. Um, I, I think he has such a high upside. I think he has genuine star level potential. And so if that, if he falls to 11, even though he doesn't fail the center or, or defense box, um, I would be all over that uh, outside of that. Um, I, I really like Dmitry Simishev. I've I've come around on his his sales skill set, especially being like a six foot four defenseman who can skate the way he does, defend mm-hmm. the way he does. That's really attractive to me. Especially, look, my opinion is if he wasn't rushing, if he didn't have those concerns about him, I I really think that he'd be a top ten pick, unquestionably. Um, and so the because there's that uncertainty. Um, that that creates, I think, uh, an in, uh, market inefficiency for the class to sort of swoop in and seriously consider a guy like that. Um, and it's been funny because with guys like Will Ander and Danielson, who the Canucks have been also been linked to, to me, 11 feels a little bit rich. Um, I just think that those are guys that for most of the year were penciled around mid to late first round. And I don't know if they have enough um, enough upside uh, when you look at their sort of profiles, again, I get it because with a guy like Will Ander, if he hits, it's like this guy has a rare sort of skill set, especially on the right side. I can understand the argument. Um, I just don't know if that's your best sort of shot at landing a player um, who can be a, 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 the maximum sort of 
impact as a, as a core player moving forward. Harm, we uh, really appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. There is Harmon Dial of The Athletic, always with uh, some great insights. His takes on the Canucks joins us uh, every couple of weeks here on Canucks Central. Yeah, and uh, with the draft, a week away. Yeah. And uh, like one of our texters mentioned, uh, Nilstein tweeted out that Shimashev is in town, mm-hmm. is, is in North America. So expect him to meet with the Canucks. Well, I, no, no, not expect, but I would, ex- I would expect it to happen. I know you're, you're rubbing your hands, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks take, take a winger too. Like it wouldn't shock me. Like BPA, it's going to be BPA. And, yeah. you know, whether Alvin was coy or not, but he made that very clear about taking best player available. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm they, still... I don't know. I'm still uh, cold on the idea of Zach Benson. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, sure. I mean, Benson, yeah. I mean, I don't mind Ben. I like Benson. Um, I can see reasons why you're a bit concerned, but like, if, when you watch, like, he's really good. He's a really yeah, good IQ. hockey player. Like, he, he's a good player. He's, he's effective. The shot, the size, of course. And is he a centerman? Is he a winger? There are things, of course. I, I totally agree. Colby Barlow is super fascinating because he's he's already kind of got the NHL body. And I'm not saying he's going to come and play right away. Like, you, you take your time with him still, but. Like I, I talk to people that view him as being able to be like a big time power forward goal scorer in the league. Yeah, and you, I know you drafted Lakaramaki, who's viewed the same way, but not as a power forward. But he's a right winger. Barlow can play left wing, left shot, right shot, but different profile of goal scorers. They love to have goal scorers. I don't know. Like it, it wouldn't shock me either if they all of a sudden surprise us because if they projected like Harm was mentioning, saying yeah they like Danielson, but maybe they're projecting him to kind of be you know a bit lower down your lineup? Like, would you rather have a third-line center or a potential 40-goal scorer? The 40-goal scorer. Right, or like even 30-goal scorer. Like, yep. if a guy can score 30 goals consistently, you'd rather have that than a third-line center. It's uh, it's it's an interesting spot that the Canucks find themselves in, and um, as much as Patrick Alvin talked up the idea of moving up today, um, I, I wouldn't discount the idea of them moving down. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, depending on what happens at the draft, but also what's the most likely scenario? They draft at 11. Yes. And we'll have a lot of debate when Draft Central hits next Wednesday. Speaking of Colby Barlow, guess who's going to be on the show tomorrow, Seth? Colby Barlow. That's right. Excited. So be Josh excited. Josh Elliott Wolf continues booking all the draft uh, hot shots. <laughs> we'll have to see uh, what, uh, what interview-type questions we can get out of Colby Barlow. And get a little bit better of a sense of the character behind the player on the ice. Yeah, we spoke to Zach Benson last mm-hmm. week. Uh, we've spoken to Oliver Moore and as Braden well. Yeager and as Braden well. Yeager as well. I know Sam Texan says, Braden Yeager is a really good centerman. They should draft him. <laughs> There's always more players that they can draft. They can only select one, yeah. at least uh, with the amount of picks they have currently in that range. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central.